good afternoon, good morning, depending where you are. I'm so excited to have Gina Riley, a career advisor, a career expert. And we're going to talk about today why you didn't get that interview, what happened, and how we could help you. And when we're talking about the interview, it's not just switching jobs, but sometimes how do you get the interview to grow within your current company and improve? So, Gina, welcome to the show. And maybe, hey, we can start to tell a little bit about yourself and what you do. Quickly, I help people with co career progression and career transitions. I primarily work with leaders and executives in, in career transition using my uh, experience as an executive search consultant. Um, but I also have like a foundation of doing first line recruiting. I worked at Intel for 10 years and did a lot of staffing and recruit. We called it staffing back then, Jack. So, <laughs> yeah, so that's the quick and dirty. Um, well, you know what? I know staffing because like you can see the gray in my beard. So I, yeah, I've, I, yeah, so I, kind of... so I thought maybe. <laughs> also, also <laughs> it used to be personnel. Do you remember that? Oh, that yes. A, I did work in a personnel department personnel. for hotels. That was my first yeah. HR experience. I was doing benefits, you know, for new employees for a hotel. <laughs> so that's interesting. You have hotels, Intel, you know, now do what you're doing. That's a, that's a really interesting combination. Um, yeah. So now, from what I'm seeing, particularly for white collar professionals, and, you know, those, you know, a lot of those people are here on LinkedIn. And it's tough, you know, yeah. it's kind of a white collar recession almost in the tech sector is about what, 200,000 people laid off this year alone. Um, and finding getting an interview is hard, getting an offer is hard. Um, mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people had it relatively easy during the great resignation. And I don't want to say they were spoiled, but it was more easy to easily finding a job. Now it's harder. Yeah. And so like when you interview, you have to be smarter. So what are the things that you've noticed what people do that maybe sabotage, Gina, their own cause and just either don't even get the interview to begin with, mm. or once you get your foot in the door, you just, you're just doing something that's just not resonating. Oh my gosh. I'm pretty sure you and I have a whole bunch of stories, but I'm going to just start with the obvious so we can kind of yeah. get it out there. Um, and I have a list here that I'm kind of referring to, so I make sure I cover it all. The first thing is you are not an obvious match. You don't even get any interview because whoever, whatever human is screening those applications on the other side, and I like to emphasize there are human beings screening. Um, our resumes go into an ATS database. There's like 200 different kinds of databases. Humans put in some something into the search engine to pull up the kinds of things they're looking for. And if you happen to be, you know, as they review the applications, you get put into the do not forward pile because there are other people who more closely match the job description at that first blush. What do you think? So do you feel when you're sending a resume out, do you have to, if let's say in the job description, there's like 10 bullet points. Do you need all 10, nine, eight? You know, what would you suggest for people to have maybe a better shot at being noticed and being pushed forward? That's a really good question. My answer to that, to that is you take a look at that job description and you, and you I mean, print it, go through and, and highlight the key hard skills, hard skills, technical skills, not so much the soft skills like great communication because it is very unlikely, unless it's like a communications job, that a recruiter is pulling up that first set of resumes with a soft skill like that. They are probably putting in some kind of hard skill that relates to the technology within the job um, or some aspect that came from the skills that you've been accumulating that are functionally related. You think? Is there a way that you can kind of game the system by, you know, kind of loading up on keywords or certain jargon that the company uses, or does that come across really clunky and can backfire? I think that if you look across the careers landscape and you follow reputable recruiters and career coaches, most people will say that 
keyword stuffing is a very poor idea. So putting in a giant block of text, one of the things people used to do and may still do, I don't know, is put the, the key block of text in white font and kind of hide it within the text, but it's still a word. The, I believe the technology has gotten smarter, air quotes, and that isn't something that one should do. And there's a couple of reasons beyond just like trying to not game the system. One is if you put the intelligence into what it is that you're applying for and you, you make sure that you've got within context some of those phrases that the recruiters are looking for, then you're going to have a greater likelihood of actually connecting with that person and having them go, oh, that's what I'm looking yeah. for. Because yeah, it's so frustrating as a recruiter, what will happen is, you know, I'll put on, I'll put, let's say a job on LinkedIn jobs or another job board. And then you get overwhelmed with resumes. And at first you're like, oh, this is great. I have so many resumes to choose from. And then when I start going through it, it's like out of, I'll make up a number out of a hundred. And, and this is kind of real. Like maybe you get a hundred and out of the hundred, maybe five are okay. And then out of those five, maybe two or three are worthwhile getting a hold of. Mm -hmm. and what happens, I think it messes up the whole system because the people who actually are good, they get lost because it's just, you're overwhelmed. You know, the people who are looking at the resumes, they're just so overwhelmed mm -hmm. that after a while, like they can't even focus on it. So I think it kind of just defeats the whole purpose. It does. I have two things to, to yeah. two talking points from that. One is it's possible based on our theme here for the day, you're not getting an interview because you sat on that job description for a couple of weeks. Mm. And other people who are qualified front loaded and got in, you know, in front of the recruiter sooner than later. And they're already doing phone screens with the most appar apparently qualified people. And you're on week three plus going, huh? Yeah, I'll get around to that. Well, you may have just missed the boat. You might be very qualified, but they're not really going back to the well, or maybe they'll go back and check one more time. Maybe you'll get lucky. But I've had some clients that have sat on opportunities and I, and I like freak out. <laughs> like you need to go apply and then you need to start reaching out to decision makers. Let's go make some guesses and assumptions about who, who are the hiring managers, who are the talent ex acquisition pros and start getting seen. I like where you're going. So, so a couple of things I'm taking away. One is that if you see a job that you're good for, don't wait, don't say, well, I'm not sure. Maybe if you feel just that initial instinct, I'm good for it. Go. Do it. it. Right. Yes. Just, what just, are you waiting for? So do yeah. it. But then the second part, what you mentioned, Gina, sounds like you want to find the person who's at the company, who's a decision maker, whether it's the HR person, whether it's a, you know, a hiring manager, whether it's a friend of a friend of a friend, mm -hmm. right? To kind of network yourself. What do you think of that? Does that help get that interview if you have a connection? What you want to have happen is you want to be seen. Mm -hmm. You may not get an interview because you get seen and they're like, yeah, that doesn't appear what we're looking for and it's not a good use of our time. But getting seen is actually, I think, a win. <laughs> I mean, that's the first win is getting seen. And I'll refer to Steve Dalton's two-hour job search. What he says is you are looking for advocacy. You're looking for someone to advocate for you in some way that helps you get seen. I call it a booster. Like, how can you get boosted into the system and get seen? So what, what I do with my clients, and again, these are typically executive or senior level. And if we're talking about a VP or a CEO type of person, I'm going online and I'm looking for the board of directors. I'm looking for the current leadership team. And we're trying to make guesses about, well, who would you reach out to, to, to get seen? Might be some of the board members. And are there, is there anything that in those people's histories on LinkedIn that you could find as a connecting point? So the idea is to get seen. And if you're not qualified, then you can pat yourself on the back for a job well done, at least getting that far. So it's interesting. It's, and it's, for a lot of people, I think it's a bold step, right? Because it's kind of, you know, it's an aggressive approach, but aggressive in a positive way, as opposed to just, I'm going to send my resume and hope for the best. So what you're saying is, let's say I'm applying to a job in your organization. 
I should kind of maybe check out LinkedIn, social media feel, and try to find out who is like the hiring manager, who's the HR person responsible, who is maybe a big player there, maybe someone I know, or maybe what is that, seven degrees, six degrees of Kevin Bacon kind of thing, Kevin where, Bacon. right, you know, someone who knows someone who knows somebody who could kind of, you know, give a recommendation and say, hey, that guy, Jack, he applied, he's really great. And if you have 10, 50 resumes and somebody internally is saying, hey, meet with Gene and meet with Jack, mm -hmm. I'd imagine you go to the front of the line, right? You you go to the front of the line. And again, I'll, and maybe you can, from your recruiter perspective, yeah. validate or invalidate this. But when I've been running an executive search for mm -hmm. Talents Group, I'm affiliated with an executive search firm. And one of my counterparts might say, hey, this person reached out to me. Will you make sure that you see the resume? I That's the first thing I'm going to do. I'm going to go look at it. And then I may respond to my peer and say, here's the three things that I'm not seeing. I will follow up. Then I follow up because we're high touch. So I'll follow up with that individual and say, I see your application. I have it. And I may give some kind of notation that we're early in the process. And I really don't know what I'm going to do with it yet. Or I may say, we're looking for X, Y, and Z specifically. I don't see it. Do you have it? I know they don't, but I'm giving them a chance to say, oh, I do have, you know, I do have healthcare background. Here it is. Great. Now I might be interested. So that makes a lot of sense. It's, it's because there's this social pressure element of it too. Oh yeah, like, totally. Like, I can't tell you how many times I would have somebody say, Hey Jack, hey, my buddy Joe or Jane, hey, she really would love to work at such and such place. Can you yeah. do me a favor? Can you hook the person up? And then you know, give the disclaimers like, all right, if I can't, you know, it's not so easy, right? It's hard, but I'll try. Yeah. And then the guilt factor works because then you feel like I got to do it because I don't do it they're going to kind of hit me up again in a few months and say, Hey, what happened? I never heard yeah. back from you. So there is a little bit of arm twisting that does work. It sounds like cold blooded. It sounds crass, but Gina, it's a little bit of, yeah, giving a shove to somebody, you know, or kind of know to help you out. I agree. And I'm going to go back to, you want to be seen. Yeah. And if you're not qualified you know, and you're not expressing your qualifications in a way that's landing with the decision makers. And I'm talking about frontline recruiter doing the screening. That's a decision maker all the way to the hiring manager. If you're not doing a good job communicating, you, you need to look at your own process, right? If you think you're fully qualified for something and you're not getting that first look, then there could be something, you know, wrong there. But one, one thing that also I was triggered by is um, the job search is about energy management. How do you spend your time? So I advocate for spending more of your time trying to build relationships and trying to find decision makers and have informational conversations without saying I'm looking for a job versus just applying. If you spend most of your time applying and you hope you get a call that's spray and pray. It's the, you know, mm -hmm. spray out your applications and hope someone will call. Then you're telling your family and your friends, oh, I'm working so hard at job search. I've applied to however many jobs, but you're not following up. Then you're not doing your best work and you're not managing your energy very well. Yeah, I love this. So, so this goes with the whole, you need to be seen. Be, because I'm, I'm hearing too, when you're saying you need to be seen, part of it and tell me if I'm wrong, but part of it would be like maybe on social media and it depends on your kind of career, but let's say for the sake of conversation, most of the people who are watching this now and watch it, you know, on repeat are probably white collar, mid-level, senior level folks. So I guess on LinkedIn to be seen in part, you know, mm -hmm. you want to comment on people when they post, you want to connect with people who are decision makers, you want to be in front of them, you want to find ways that you're kind of subtly raising your hand <laughs> so that people know you exist, your maybe write content, right? <laughs> I agree. And you can validate this or not, yeah. but I, I definitely, when I'm checking someone out, I may go and look at the things that they comment on. I want to see what their interests are within LinkedIn. I never use other social media. LinkedIn is a professional network and that's where you put your professional foot forward. Whatever you choose to do there is in the professional realm. 
Um, but going in and you look at, you know, what they're commenting on and everything is negative and kind of mean spirited. Yeah. Is that the kind of person anyone wants to work with? I, I recently I was some negative comment popped up in my feed. And so I went and went down the rabbit hole and checked that person out. And so many of the comments were so awful. I was thinking, gosh, who, who would work with this person? So, you know, you're so right, because give me an example on the flip side of that. I make it a practice when I post on LinkedIn to be very uplifting, very positive, you know, so, you know, whether it's I'm writing, you know, a Forbes article that I'm putting on there yeah. or my own content, original content that I'm putting on there. I'm always trying to give actionable advice. I'm always trying to be, you know, seeing the positive in things. So then when they read it, they kind of affiliate, you know, myself with, okay, this guy is trying to make things happen. He's trying to do good. He's trying to help people. Yeah. And I think that stands out when there are so many people, Gina, like you're saying, who are angry and always like wagging their finger at somebody, always everything goes to politics. And yeah. And yeah. if, yeah, maybe if the other person agrees with your politics, maybe that works, but if they don't, then, you know, they're going to hate you. You're going to hate them. So you, yeah. it's almost like you're managing your persona online and, and cultivating it in an authentic way so right. that you get noticed. And then I guess also tell me if this makes sense when you get noticed too, it's not just submitting the resume, but then people who are managers, hiring managers, leadership may recognize the person. Oh, you know, I've seen some of the, you know, Gina's postings. Hmm. So now there's a connection. I have a resume. I've seen her postings. They're real cool, smart, well thought out. And all of a sudden you have that halo effect. You do. And you also come across, now you're an actual human being and not right. you know, a number in the system. So what you're trying to do is create relevance with your brand and building the know, like, and trust factor. So what do you want to be known for? What do you want to be seen for? And then build that into whatever you, whatever it is that you do to express your thought leadership and your thought leadership plan or strategy could be really juicy comments on other people's material and, and giving their content a lift. You don't always have to create your own organic content to be seen. So if we could, let's, mm -hmm. let's kind of delve into this a little bit in that, <laughs> you know, from your experience at Intel, which is a great company, although I'm a little salty about it because I own stock in Intel and NVIDIA is doing really well and a lot of the other chips and Intel <laughs> is not, but I'll put that aside because you don't work there anymore. So you have no- you Oh, know, it's been a say. long time. So you have, you know, <laughs> you have old. experiences in different industries and also being a career expert, um, like lightning round kind of thing. Like what are some of, you know, the things that you see that you cringe when people do and, and, it's understandable why they're not getting an offer or they're not getting the interview or they don't get invited for the second or third round of interviews. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that you see that just pop up again and again that people who were listening to this will be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I've been doing these things I'm not supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. I, I have many. I'm going to refer to my list and then okay. I'm going to keep on one of them. Okay. We'll, we'll probably run out of time with the amount of stories you and I have. Um, some people get really upset over things like overt mistakes on res on the, a resume or a cover letter. So pay, especially at the senior levels, really pay attention, have someone else proofread it who's not involved, you know, with your process to catch, you know, random flaws. So that's, mm -hmm. that's one thing that actually, I've actually been in the room with senior leaders who are reviewing resumes and they're like, oh, you know, this person has a misplaced space or period. Mm -hmm. It can be that ridiculous. It can be that silly. Um, one, one thing that drives me completely crazy mm -hmm. is a person that's not succinct. So you're, you're going through that first or second set of screens and the person cannot succinctly articulate themselves. I'm going to give a very specific example. Uh, I ran an, a, a search, a CEO search about a year ago. And I, I screened a lot of people. I don't know if it was 20 or 30 people on that first pass to start culling it down. And I had one person in particular, I said, hey, I want you to take five minutes to just do a quick career overview. Tell me about yourself. I'm not going to go through every little point in the resume. Tell me a little bit about yourself. We have an hour. I have eight questions that are all skill-based. And I want to make sure I, I get through those. So I need your help managing the time. 
the tell me about yourself went on for 20 minutes. In a 60 minute <laughs> I was born in a log cabin. Yeah. <laughs> in and, first grade, and, here's what I did. The poor person was just like all over the place. Now, a lot of people have asked me this question. Why didn't you rein it in? Why didn't you clip the person? Mm. I, did, I didn't do it on purpose. I kind of wanted to see yeah. where this person was going because my job as the lead recruiter working with the board of directors was to get the very, very best people to manage this huge operation. And if that person could, could not hold up with their executive presence and their ability to be succinct, I could not put mm -hmm. them forward. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think uh, from the recruiting side, that is some of the, it's almost torture when somebody, you know, I ask, hey, you know, can tell me about yourself, tell me about what you do. Mm -hmm. And they just go off on tangents and they go in circles and they go back too far. And it's like, you, no, no exaggeration. It's like you get, I get a head, like a migraine because it's just getting me so frustrated. And then what's worse sometimes when their resume is really good and I know they're good for the job yeah. and I'm excited. I'm like, oh my gosh, this, because when you're a recruiter, uh, you know, kind of give the dirty laundry. I mean, you it's eat what you kill when you're on the th on the agency side. So like yeah. you only get paid when you play somebody. So like, if you see a resume, that's great. And you're like, I could place this person and I'm going to make a nice fee. This is great. But then they can't really articulate themselves. Well, that's, it's just like, a, it's a deal killer. It really, it just ruins it not only for me as the recruiter, but then when they meet with HR, the hiring manager and so forth, they just realize ah, that the communication skills, they're just lacking. They're lacking. So what I want to do is for those tuning in, especially job seekers who are frustrated and they may have heard this kind of a thing before, mm -hmm. I would recommend there's remedies. There's remedies. So my recommendation is you take that job description as you prepare for interviews and you and you build your interview stories. I use the SOAR method. Other people use PAR, CAR, STAR, right? I use SOAR specifically because I like to hear within the story the obstacles and why it was challenging. So what was the situation? I want like quick, one minute, quick and dirty. What was the situation? What were the obstacles? Why are you telling me the story? What actions did you take? What actions did your team take? Because if you're a leader, you didn't do it all. And if you're humble, you get nervous that you, mm -hmm. you're taking too much credit. And results, what was the impact that was made? Why are you telling this story? And you wanna have tight stories. Most can be three to five minutes. It's a, if it's a really technologically hairy challenge, that was cross-functional across a global organization, you may have to break it up into bite-sized pieces and explain that to who mm -hmm. you're speaking to. And the reason why is, like you said, Jack, either the person's getting a migraine or their ears shut off. Yeah. Boom, you're done, you're done. So get your stories tight as a remedy for, for um, going off the rails and not being succinct. Now, would you suggest that they have like an elevator pitch already set so that when they go into the interview, they're already prepared? Here's what I'm going to say. I know what I'm going to say. I'm all set. I have it. It's almost memorized, but you're not saying in a robotic form, but. Yeah, I have a trick. Okay. A trick. Yeah. So I don't call it elevator pitch probably because I kind of think there's a lot of angst wrapped up in that. It feels very like Markety. It yeah. is an elevator pitch, but I call it the tell me about yourself narrative. So when I'm working with folks, we spend three weeks, weeks initially building up their storytelling about their strengths, their values, what they stand for, what motivates them, and then their whole career story. And then what we do is we converge that. And this is my trick. You take mm -hmm. three columns. And in the first column, you make bullet points on what were you doing in that first third of your career? And I am talking about senior people who are, you know, age 40 and above, we'll say. Um, what, what did you do early career? What did you do mid-career? And what did you do more recently? And you step back from your story and you go, oh, what are the themes and patterns? So that really what you're talking about is this fourth column, which is I'm uniquely qualified to do this job mm -hmm. because 
I built up these technical skills, these functional skills, these leadership skills, and had this kind of impact. Boom, that's a three to five minute, tell me about yourself narrative without saying that you were born in Toledo, you know, and go from there. You know what I mean? <laughs> now, Gina, would you, I know that you help people not only switch jobs to other companies, but help people progress within their own organization. What you're talking about now, would that also apply or would it be different if you're within the company? Like, hey, I don't want to leave. I like my company. I just yeah. feel like I'm at a dead end. I, I desperately don't want to leave because I love everybody here. I want to, I want to get to that next level. Yeah. I think being able to articulate what you what what you're all about is important no matter what. You're at a cocktail party and people ask you, like, what do you do? It could be a lot more interesting than just saying technically what you do. So mm -hmm. I think being able to articulate yourself is huge. Mm -hmm. But I think you're onto something here. There is a different tactic that you're taking when you position upward or laterally, you know, to try to gain more experience. So you may be trying to gain experience and do a sidestep so that you can set yourself up for a greater success. I talked to someone yesterday who's got three different areas of functional expertise within his technology realm, and he's trying to figure out how to package that so he doesn't sound like he is a Swiss army knife, because mm -hmm. none of us want to hire a Swiss army knife we want the sharp tool for the problem we have right now. So really most people's challenge when they say I have a broad skill set is how do you package that and explain the value you're going to bring because you have a Swiss army knife, but what problem will you solve for them today? What's keeping up that decision maker at night right now? You know, that's such a smart point because I see that all the time where people feel and it's not their fault because they don't realize it. They feel that I've been in the industry, X industry for 10, 20, 20, 30 years, right? Mm -hmm. And I could do this, I could do that, I could do everything. And they feel that, wow, I'm, you know, everyone should love me and hire me because I could do all this. And they I don't can realize, do it all. right? In this, in this type of economy we're now, it's changed so dramatically. It's not like that anymore. People mm -hmm. want specialization. They want you to know, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong or fair. They want people who like an expert in a certain area. They want mm -hmm. someone who has that knowledge. And so they're like deflated because they feel, I don't get it. Why am I not getting picked up for an interview? I have all this experience. They tell their friends, their family, and they're all shaking their heads. I don't know. It's because like the game has changed. It's very different. And that's something also, Gina, right? People have to be aware of their trends. You know, it used to be back in the day, they would want generalists. Now, very specialized. Right. And I'm, I'm over-exaggerated. It's not in every single case, obviously. No, of course not. It's kind of the trend that we're seeing. Absolutely. And what I would go back to is the, your point and question about an elevator pitch, pitch. It's really about what is your unique value proposition? Mm -hmm. What knowledge, skills, expertise do you bring forward that help advance a company's mission? And when you can get your arms around that message in a succinct way, you are going to stand out. Can I give you some examples of like what not to do that drive yes. you crazy? I think that's okay. why people are tuning in. <laughs> all right. So one of the big things that drive you crazy, and this is this is guys, they do this all the time. I'm, I'm breaking bro code here, I guess, by okay. ratting out my own brethren. But <laughs> one of the things they do and is they have, first of all, when I'm interviewed back pre-COVID, when we were in the office, instead of having like the video we have now, we're sitting across mm -hmm. the table for each other. And first they give me the glare because like they have to be the alpha guy, right? So they give me like the like the, the stare. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Like, just look at me like a, like, a, like a crazy person. Just just be normal. Then if you ask a question, like you ask, oh, tell me about this. They give, a, again, a blank stare and they look angry, go, it's on my resume. Like, oh, right. I know it's on your resume. I see it, but we want to talk about it. You want to use your words. It's like when you have a little kid, use your words and talk about it. Tell me about it. And instead of telling me that they're angry, it's seriously, and this is a common thread. They're angry because it's like, it's almost, do you know who I am? How yeah. dare you ask me these I questions? You should know how awesome I am. And it's the biggest turnoff because like, how can I send a person to an HR person, a hiring manager, 
with that chip on the shoulder and attitude. It's kind of hate me. Did you hate me for it? Oh yeah. Did you get that a lot? Do you see where it's just not a lot? Um, (laughs) fortunately. Um, but I I feel like that's just a low EQ, like not reading the room, which goes back to something I, I had I put a pin in it, which is for, for, I subscribe to um, the executive presence material. So executive presence is um, something that other people attribute to us in Mm -hmm. whether or not we feel like you're trustworthy and we have confidence in you. There's three universal dimensions based on social science of executive presence. There's communication, there's appearance, communication, and gravitas. There's 17 things all within that realm. What's so important is first we show up in, you know, looking well-groomed and mm-hmm. ready to go. And like, we, we care about ourselves in the job and there's, there's more to say about appearance, but once you have that first impression, you only get a couple seconds, that's it. And people have already made a judgment about you. The second thing though, is communication, which again, that's, you know, reading your room and being succinct and some of those things. And then the gravitas is how we behave, how we behave. And one, one sort of sad story um, about a candidate experience I was on with um, somebody in an interview, late stages, as early stages. And the person sits back, I'm the executive search consultant on working with yeah. the board and they sit back and they say, so who are you in this process? I, mean, I like that face you <laughs> so they make well, And who are you? They'd already been through a screen with someone, my partner, my recruiting partner helping me because we had so many applications. And then, um, and then I'm doing a deeper dive on the leadership approach and skills. And then I got that. <laughs> it's weird, right? It's like, like these are the things that you just, it's like, you know, sabotaging yourself, shoot yourself in the foot. It's that- <laughs> The body language. Okay. So now we all do interviews for the most part, you know, online, right? And would it kill you to make sure you have the light, the right lighting? Would it kill you to check out the sound first? Would it kill you to make sure that the technology works and there's not issues? Yeah. And I'm guilty of this too, by the way, because I'm I've been remote now since the pandemic. Yeah. And I still don't mock me. I still have landlines. So sometimes in the middle of something, the phone is ringing. I'm like, oh, I'm mortified. But it, you know, <laughs> you just have to make sure that you have everything set up. Or how many times do you go on? A, do I go on an interview and I see somebody, and like, I'm embarrassed to look behind them because their 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 house is a mess. Yeah. And I don't want. I'm not gonna. I'm not a judgy kind of person. Face to the, the wall. Like, back to the wall yeah it's weird it's like why can't you just make sure your lighting work the sound works the background looks okay you oh, dress yeah. the part that's not that's oh, like, yeah. that's just like stay you know table sticks that's like the it easiest is. thing to do and you blow um, it up i'm working with a, a vp right now who is interviewing for a different vp level mm-hmm. role and he we got on and and went through the paces he's like i just bought this light how does it look and he we spent a half hour he was adjusting the light adjusting the lens so he's not you know have you gotten on and people are like down here like and you're like hey dude like you know fix that um having your back to a window that's open that's no bueno because you've got you know the light coming in and one funny thing this will not stop me as a recruiter from from (laughs) progressing someone I'm just going to say but one time I was interviewing someone and the ceiling fan was going right mm-hmm. here it looked like point deck a poindexter hat or something <laughs> yeah. it was like right over their head and it was a little bit nauseating because right. focus on the person and that's what I was seeing <laughs> there you can't you can't diver- divorce yourself of that so you're always going to think of that person like the <laughs> propeller head right it's, I know yeah. I felt kind of bad and yeah. that person did progress they didn't win the job but it wasn't because of a ceiling fan <laughs> are there any other things you could any other things that you feel why somebody's booting the you know their their interview or that just jump out at you that feel like hey this is an easy thing to fix yeah I'm looking at my my top like 10 list um the 
going back to poor interview time management, not mm -hmm. reading the room, that's poor gravitas, by the way, not reading your room and your situation and managing the time and not being clued into the recruiter or the hiring manager on what it is they're trying to uncover from you. So if you have a, a good skilled interviewer and they're asking you skill-based questions, clue in and, and work within that and try to answer those questions to showcase your skills. So I, I would say just show up with like an awareness about what it is you're trying to accomplish in, in, in that process, um, not being disrespectful to anyone in, in the interview process. I, I have known senior leaders who will go and ask the front desk person and their admin, how did that person treat you when they came in the door? Um, 100%. Most of these leaders really, really, I don't know why my thumbs up is going on on Zoom. <laughs> um, most people, <laughs> most people um, get my hand down. Um, most people really, leaders will really, really care about how their folks are being treated by someone and they're, they're not being dismissive. That's, that's a, not a good way to start. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. What I do when I go in, let's say I'm going in to get an assignment or what have you, going to the building, I chat everybody up. And for two reasons, actually. One is, and this is helpful for job seekers, you loosen up because mm -hmm. sometimes what happens when you go for an interview, maybe it's early in the morning, you haven't talked, you haven't spoke with anybody yet. And you have that awkward, <coughs> you know, just getting it started. So by talking with people, you just get in the flow. You know, you see the security guard, you schmooze the security guard, someone in the elevator, you talk to someone in the elevator, you talk to a receptionist, whatever. So the time you go into that meeting, your blood is going, you're flowing, you're in the mood, as opposed for a dead stop, and you have it going. And then what <laughs> drives me crazy is this. This is another thing people do that that's just, just so defeatist, is they, they can't make any small talk. And this sounds like so nothing, but it's so awkward. So if you go into an interview and you're just Mr. or Mrs. Yes, no, yes, no. Uh, it's the worst because then the interview feels they're pulling teeth and they're all the, it just turns them off. You, you know, it's one of those things. Some people are, are just, you know, innate. They could talk, they could schmooze, they have some charisma, likability, others mm. not so much, but you could kind of learn it. And you want to be the kind of person to do some homework first. And let's say, Gina, I, you know, I did some homework and I find out, you know, that you're in Portland. And so I'll kind of learn a little bit about Portland, learn about the areas. So then I could say, hey, and make a reference. And then you'd be like, oh, wow, how did you know? Oh, well, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And before you know it, it just have that conversation as opposed to you go in and you oh. just stare like a psychopath at the interviewer and just waiting for them to ask a question. And you're just, and you're just sitting there silently, which is, is it's, it's hard to kind of then build off of that. Yeah. You got to warm up the room. And mm -hmm. again, that's reading the room and reading your situation and helping develop comfort with you. Are you someone that people want to work with? I mean, that's what you're showcasing. In that interview. And another, another thing that could stop you from getting an interview would be to have unexplainable or ill-explained employment gaps mm. on your resume and when you're actually being asked. And you probably have this too, where you're like, hey, I'm going to walk through your, your resume. Okay. I see a gap. What, what was going on there? Or why did you leave? You know, we always ask, what did you do? And then what was the reason for leaving? And we kind of listen for believability. And so when you hit a gap and it's something like, oh yeah, I took X number of years off to raise my children or care for a parent or whatever that is, that can sound very believable, but it gets shaky and we get that spidey sense like mm. Ooh, something's wrong when there's a couple of reasons for leaving that don't add up. It's, you know, it's one of those things that on one side, as you're mentioning, it, it kind of raises a flag. Mm -hmm. But then I noticed too, which is so unfortunate, people who tend to get a, like a contract role or a gig role, mm -hmm. there's a little bias so that when they're going for a permanent role, they're thinking, hmm, why did you just as you were pointing out, like, why did you, you know, stay there for just three months and there for three months? And, mm -hmm. and then it's hard to get back on that track. Mm -hmm. And it's, 
I would suggest for people who are watching this, I'm not saying don't take contract roles. Don't take, mm -hmm. you know, because sometimes you have no choice. You have to put food on the table. Oh, I but think it's great keep, to take contract roles. Yeah, it's it's just, it, you run that risk of being labeled as just that contractor and it's hard to get back. What do you, what do you think gonna, about that? I'm going to spin that a little bit okay. in a different way, in a positive way. Good. So maybe I've been laid off because there was a big group layoff, right? Because we've had all the, you know, and, and we're perfect. You know, our resume is great. We did mm -hmm. a great job with our company. We couldn't help it. Leaders and group and, and employees get let go. I've had, I've been working with VPs of major companies and they start working with me and they're like, oh, guess what? <laughs> Three months in, they're like, I just got laid off, you know, <laughs> along with 12 other VPs. And that's, and this is a real thing for a lot of people because this is what's been happening since yeah, like 20, you know, late 2022 till now. Yeah where and it's, it's heartbreaking because you'll see people who had a job and then two, three months later, they're gone. So right. this is very, very timely. Exactly. So here, my recommendation is, you know, be, you know, take a little break, nurse your wounds because you're going to feel sad, angry, upset, whatever. If you can take the time, some people cannot afford to do that, but you've got to build your brand. You've got to build your storytelling. You've got to know what your target is and you have to be able to know what your messaging is so people can help you when you get informational conversations. Super key. You don't show up to informationals and say, what do you got for me? What do you think? Right? So you build up that storytelling. And then, um, then after that, if you're, especially for, for leaders who are in transition, let's say we're tipping over six months, maybe we're in the nine months, I think hang up your own shingle, create Gina Riley consulting, you know, you're just your name, something simple, get, you don't have to have a website or anything. And then as you have informational conversations and you learn about the challenges different companies are having, you might be able to either offer some free advice that leads to a short-term consulting gig based on your advice that could turn into a job or under that in LinkedIn, Gina Riley Consulting, I can say, while in a career transition, I took on these projects. I worked for this company and this was the impact. I worked for this one. This was There's the highlights reel. Now I have legit work where I'm, I'm making money. I'm talking to people, which makes me feel better. I'm doing something while I job search. That's what I would do. That's great advice. And, and to add on to what you were alluding to with the uh about the attitude, it's understandable if somebody lost their job, they're in between job, it's hard to find a job, you're mm -hmm. worried about, sometimes also, this is gonna come out wrong, but sometimes it may be even worse for some people when you have survivor's guilt and you're worried, you're still yeah. working, you feel bad that you got the job and all your friends lost their jobs, but now yeah. you're also scared, when, when am I gonna get that call from HR saying, I wanna go, you know, we want to speak to you, Jack, right? You're living with that. And that's such pressure. So then when you interview Gina, tell me if you see this too, you come across just the worst way because they're angry, they're scared, they're, they're anxious, they're stressed. And just an interview, it's just like in real life, when you kind of meet somebody and you just feel their aura. And, yeah. I, you know, I'm not trying to feel a woo woo kind of person, but I mean, I believe that because you just feel it emanating. And when yeah. somebody comes in and they're carrying that baggage, that fear, that anger, yeah. that angst, it mm -hmm. is a turnoff because it just freaks other people out. They're like, what am I getting with this person? Is Jack a psychopath? I'm not going to hire him. He seems crazy. <laughs> he, he, it's like he couldn't get over that breakup with his job and he's still harboring anger. Who needs mm -hmm. that? So and I think, what do you think? That's tough. another thing I think that, that, that we don't talk about enough is that you come in with that just surly, angry baggage and understandable so. I think that's fair. I did not even have that on my list, but showing up with baggage yeah. is something that could prohibit you from advancing in the interview because guess what? You're focusing on saying the wrong things. You're focusing on maybe bashing the employer or yeah. being, you know, whatever that is. But I have a remedy for that. All right. <laughs> um, so... During times of change and transition, you get laid off, there's a reorg, and you're not happy with where you're sitting in the organization, you do need to deal with the personal baggage that is welling up in you, right? And so I always recommend William Bridges, 
transition management uh, books. They're this big, they're easy to read. And what, what he does is he's outlined um, the human aspects of what we go through when we're in a transition. It's similar to when we have loss, like a loss of a loved one. First, there's disbelief. You know, we don't believe it. Um, then there's the anger and the sorrow and the churn and the muck. And it, you go into this like kind of trough of despair. You kind of have to go through that in order to start moving into a new beginning. And so if you know what that psychological process is, and you can embrace it and understand that you need to give yourself that time. And then you make a plan for your future. You can be so much better off in your interview situations and your informational conversations than those that are still in the muck. That makes so much sense. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you shared that. Can I, can I, how about this one last thing? I can't believe that I'm looking at the time that flew by. We went way past. So, so I'm hoping a we lot can of do it again, Jack. I got lots more. How about, how about, <laughs> How about one other thing? One last thing okay. about this or two, it depends. Like if you have something else, we have something else. Uh, I, I feel that it makes sense when you're an interview, not to play hard to get, but oh. to let the person know that you're interested. And so much so to say, let's say I'm interviewing with you, Gina, to even say at the end of the interview, Hey, Gina, I love meeting you. I love meeting Paul and Pete and Susan. It was great. You know, mm -hmm. I love the corporate culture, the mission statement. You know, I've always admired your company and the conversation just flowed so that mm -hmm. if you're open to giving an offer, I would be very interested and would like to move forward. Now, what do you think? Is that too forward? Does that come across sappy? Does it come across? What's, what's your take on that? Is that something I'm that- I'm 100% on team Jack with that. You think that's- and I have a story. I was doing a very senior level search. I was down to the last two candidates. Um, in my own mind's eye, I, I, I had a feeling on which one would be better, but it was tipping the other way for, for a bit. And part of it was the board was like, do they really want the job? We're not getting enthusiasm here. And so when I spoke to that particular individual and said, you got to amp that up, you need to actually say it. And then it changed the dynamic because they were nervous. Like, gosh, we make this offer and they're not that excited about it. So you don't have to be sappy. You just say, hey, this company is awesome. I can't wait to join it. Yeah. You know, I would love to entertain an offer if you're going to extend one. And I think your team's fantastic. This feels like a great fit for me. That's brilliant. And tell me this makes sense too. When you're dealing, let's say, with an Intel, right? When you're in a huge bureaucratic organization, and not, and I don't mean bureaucratic in a bad way, it's just a large, right? Large yeah. operations with what, 50, 60,000 workers, right? Yeah. And then when you're interviewing, it's not just like, okay, you know, HR person says, now you have the job. You got to go get all the sign offs and keep going up, 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 and have all these people, right? Yeah. So you don't want to go. And, and as let's say you're the re internal recruiter, right? The yeah. talent acquisition person to, to, to have it go all the way up, all the way up, all the way up, just to find out you give an offer and they're like, no, nah, no, thanks. Because <sighs> then you burn your political cap. This is a little inside baseball, right? Because yeah. then you as a talent acquisition person, the re internal recruiter, they're going to question your judgment. Like you just wasted everyone's time. Oh, yeah. So, right. So if you already know the person's going to accept the role, you're going to be more apt to go with the person who's going to accept it, even if they're not as good as the person who you're not sure about, because politically, oh yeah, you're covered if you get the person who wants a job and takes the job and everyone's happy. Yes. Right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And what I would say to that, again, a remedy is um, you don't be coy during the process where the recruiter or hiring manager is asking you about your your salary and and compensation expectations and study and be prepared you do not wing that that's a really big deal and it's a skill to be able to talk about compensation so don't be cagey i have talked to people who are of my generation older generation and they have to do negotiation for compensation and so they get kind of like 
a little cagey and think it's like a game. It's not a game. It's a conversation to see if two parties can make a business agreement on that offer. So if you're clear and then it goes up the totem pole and then you get an offer that is super off base, you've done your job, but you've done the best you can, but don't be cagey because then it kind of is your fault. All right. Any last, I know we have, we talked about a lot of different things. Any <laughs> last, anything else that you could think of that you feel, you know, how to really do well and not to do anything dopey that ruins your chances. Yeah, I'm seeing if there's anything on my list that we didn't cover. We covered a lot of territory about why you don't, you may not get the the interview. And I'm not seeing anything really outstanding right now. That's oh, good. We're good. One. Oh, okay. not custom one reason you don't get the interview is you haven't customized your messaging, your application materials, your resume, cover letter. So if it's just all generic, 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 and you haven't like maybe picked out the nuances that are going to resonate for the decision makers, that would possibly cause you not to get advanced into interviews. So there you go. Last one. Excellent. So last question, how can people get in touch with you if they oh. want to find out and need your services? How, how, how can they find you? A couple ways. Um, I'm on LinkedIn all the time. Send me a personalized connection request and say, hey, I saw you and Jack having a conversation. That helps a lot because we get a lot of pitches when we have our job titles as they are. So just, just say you saw me here. Um, you can reach out through Gina Riley Consulting, my website. Um, and I have a free tool there. I have a free um, workbook that helps you run through creating a career transition plan that has no strings attached. So, you know, you can take advantage of that. Fantastic. And from my side too, what we're trying to do, what I'm kind of working on is given how the economy is still tough, high inflation, high interest rates, Ooh. costs are going up and layoffs are still around. I'm, I'm positive. I'm confident things are going to get better, but it's still going to be clunky. So what we're trying to do is build this kind of, you know, startup platform to help you know, really showcase people like Gina. And, and so that if you need help with your career, salary negotiations, how to navigate interviews, you know, everything, I could introduce you to the people who are like the best fit for you. So feel free to hit me up. And same, same way, you can find Jack Kelly on LinkedIn and you're probably seeing me too much on LinkedIn because I'm over, I, I'm, I'm pretty psychotic. And Is there too much? Come on. Uh, you can find me there or Twitter. And uh, <laughs> I'd be glad to introduce you to people who could help you out during these tough, challenging same times. Here. So thank you very much, everybody, for watching. Gina, thank you for coming on the show. This was, this was awesome. You know, you really gave some insightful advice. I think this is going to help a lot of people. And I really appreciate you taking the time out. This is awesome. I'm happy to do it anytime for you. Thank you so much.